In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. We thank you, O Lord, for this day, and we ask for your blessing. We ask, O Lord, that you be with us today in this meeting and grant us peace in all that we do. Through the prayers of St. Mary, Archangel Michael, St. Paul, St. Mark, and all your saints, hear us as we pray thankfully, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us as they are daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus, our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Good evening, everybody. Um, God willing, today we'll continue studying um, in the book of Genesis, uh, in Genesis chapter uh, uh, chapters 19 and 20. Um, in chapter 17 that we studied uh, last week, um, we read about the promise that God made uh, to Abraham about the birth of Isaac, um, and that even though he had a son already, Ishmael, by Hagar, um, and yet God had promised him that he would have a son through Sarah. So um, he that was revealed to him uh, last time in chapter 17. Um, also, we read about the establishment of the covenant of the circumcision, which was the sign uh, that uh, someone was uh, considered among the people of God. Uh, in the Old Testament and was a proof of and a remembrance of the covenant that the people had made with God. Um, also in chapter 18 that we studied last time, we read about how Abraham was visited by um, the Lord and two angels um, in, in, a, in a human form and how he was hospitable to them. And then um, the last part of chapter 18, uh, we read about uh, Abraham interceding for the city of Sodom uh, when God revealed to him that he was going to destroy um, the city. Um, so today in, in chapter 19, we're going to read actually about the destruction um, of the city of Sodom. Um, and then also, God willing, uh, in chapter 20, we'll speak about another uh, encounter that Abraham and Sarah had with uh, a king named Abimelech. Okay. So in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Now the two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. When Lot saw them, he rose to meet them, and he bowed himself with his face toward the ground. And he said, Here now, my lords, please turn into your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you may rise early and go on your way. And they said, No, but we will spend the night in the open square. But he insisted strongly, so they turned into him and entered his house. Then he made them a feast and baked unleavened bread, and they ate. So these two uh, men, uh, or these two angels who, who um, appeared as men, these were the two that had visited uh, Abraham in the previous chapter that we spoke about in chapter 18. So they continued on their way from uh, where they were visiting with Abraham, and they continued down to Sodom, and here they are now meeting with Lot. And they acted as though they were going to sleep outside because they had no place to sleep in the city. Um, but Lot uh, insisted that he, he accommodate them in his own home. Um, he was hospitable just like Abraham was when we read about him being hospitable to these angels that had come to visit him. And he even makes them a feast. So he is bringing them into his house. Now, before they lay down, the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both old and young, all the people from every quarter surrounded the house and they called to Lot and said to him, where are the men who came to be, uh, who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us 
that we may know them carnally. So here we see the level of depravity uh, of the people of the city of Sodom and why God had chosen to destroy them um, because of their, their sinful lusts, right? This is the men of the city, young and old, you know, all of the men in the entire city in every quarter, they surrounded the house because they wanted to sexually abuse these angels because they didn't know they were angels. Um, and, and so there are several problems here with, with what was happening. Okay. Many problems that, um, you know, highlight the moral depravity of the city of Sodom and why God wanted to destroy them. Okay. So the first problem here is rape that they were wanting to rape these men. Okay. The second problem is that, um, sex is intended to be within the limits of marriage. And the third is homosexuality. Okay. These are the three things that we see, uh, that are happening here, uh, in, in this encounter. Okay. Um, modern day people, some even modern day Christians, they will look at this situation and they will say that only number one is the issue is the rape and that God is destroying Sodom. Why? Only because of these men uh, wanting to sexually abuse uh, the visitors and not because of the homosexuality itself, right? Although in many places in the scripture, it speaks about homosexuality, okay? And how God sees it as an abomination, okay? So, so what is our response um, to this, okay? That some people say that um, since it's believed that homosexuals are born and the way that they are having same-sex attraction, um, then it would be wrong for God to condemn uh, to condemn them because it is natural. It is natural for them. This is the way that they were born, right? Many people will say this, okay? What is our response to this? The first is we don't believe that people with homosexual tendencies are born this way, right? Um, we believe that the environment contributes a lot to someone becoming this way. Some people are abused or neglected some people have gone through different kinds of uh, emotional traumas or things like that that might contribute to that, okay? Two, some might separate themselves from the grace of God, right, by the life that they've chosen and the willful, sinful choices that they have made, okay? When we choose to sin and live away from God, then moral depravity becomes a part of my nature, right? Just any, any kind of sin, Right, moral depravity becomes part of my nature. When I turn my back on God, when I choose to live a sinful life, more and more sin becomes attractive to me. More and more sin becomes acceptable to me because I've chosen a path of, of sin away from God, which shields us uh, from, from evil and from, from sin is the grace of God. And I shut myself out of the grace of God by the wrong choices that I make, okay, without repentance. Um, also, right? Another response is there are people that are born with various diseases, right? That should be treated, right? Not encouraged, just like we treat any other disorder. Like if somebody is born with some kind of a disease, right? We don't say, well, because you were born this way, then that means we have to accept and celebrate it. No, we say, well, because you are born this way, right? That doesn't mean that it's healthy. It doesn't mean it's right. Just because something is natural in the sense that it is part of uh, of, of, of our nature, right? Doesn't mean that it's good, right? Like for instance, some people by their nature are short-tempered. Some people by their nature are envious. Some people by their nature are lustful. Some people by their nature are selfish. We all actually have selfishness in our nature, right? That we are called to overcome. So just because those things are normal, like whenever we hear about somebody who 
it loses their temper or someone who is selfish. It's not like a strange thing. I mean, we understand it because we all have, you know, parts of, of these characteristics in our own personalities, right? But we don't say, well, because I am this way, then you must accept this. Because I am this way, then you must celebrate this. Because I am this way, then I must be good and right. No, we say just because it, it's common to many of us, it doesn't mean that it's right. It's something that we are called to overcome because it can be destructive, right? Also, we know that our flesh is by, is, is, is by its very nature sinful, right? In Romans 7, verse 18, it says, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. St. Paul is saying that even in him, he feels that his, his flesh is sinful, right? So the, 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 the idea here that when we look at the actions of these men, and we look at the, the sin of homosexuality, that we do condemn it as a sin. We don't hate those people who suffer from it. It is like any other sin, but we acknowledge that it's sin. We acknowledge that it is just like lying and stealing and lusting and any other sin, and we seek to label it as such so that we can address it, so we can repent from it, so we can correct it, right? Not because we, we hate those people. No, by, by just like we are all suffering. We're all suffering from all kinds of sin. But we don't justify our sins simply because it is something that is, 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 is in my nature, right? Even for those people who argue and say that this is something that people are born with, whether born with or not born with is not really the issue. The issue here is it is against God's command. And yet, and so we try to um, fight against it. So here, these men are coming to attack uh, uh, these, uh, these angels, right? And in Lot's house, okay? So, so then what happens? So Lot went out to them through the doorway, shut the door behind him, and said, Please, my brethren, do not do so wickedly. See now, I have two daughters who have not known a man. Please let me bring them out to you, and you may do to them as you wish. Only do nothing to these men, since this is the reason they have come under the shadow of my roof. Okay? This is kind of a shocking uh, response that we read here that Lot gives, okay? And it's certainly not a good response. It's certainly not a wise thing or a right thing that Lot says. But it does illuminate one thing. It illuminates that in the mind of Lot, the sin that they were seeking to commit, okay, is so vile that it would have been better for them to do, to do it to his daughters than to do it to these men, okay? And... Um, and so, of course, his solution is the wrong one, right? And so we see here that Lot, he had this kind of um, confusion, right? He was a righteous man, and he understood right from wrong. But because maybe he had lived among these people for so long, remember um, back uh, earlier when Lot and Abraham were living together and the land was no longer big enough to support both of them, they decided that they were going to, to part ways and go in different places. And Abraham gave Lot the choice, where do you want to go and live? And I will take what you do not choose. And Lot chose this land, right? Because it was the most fertile land. It was the best land. It was the best place, even though it was a place filled uh, with people who were very immoral, very immoral people that we see here in the city of Sodom. Okay. So, um, Lot, even though he was a righteous man, his mind had been warped because he had lived in this environment. You know, sometimes 
we who are trying to live righteous lives, trying to obey God, trying to be good people and to do the right thing, because we are in the, under the influence of the society around us and the morals and the values of the people that are around us, without, without us even realizing it over time, the, the ideas and the thoughts and the beliefs and the practices of those who are around us begin to seep in to our mind and to taint our logic and to taint our thoughts and to taint our worldview and to, to, to start to destroy us in very hidden and subtle ways that we don't realize. And that was one of the foolish things that Lot, the decision that Lot made for him to come and to live in this land is because he knew that this land was full of sinful uh, people, right? But it was also the most attractive land. It was the it was the best place like for, for for his animals to live for his you know for his people to live so he chose it right but he didn't consider what negative effect being in that environment would have on him and we see it clearly here we see clearly that somehow he thinks that the solution right to this problem is to offer his daughters to these men it is a twisted and confused um, response that certainly was not the right response okay and they said, stand back. Then they said, this one came in, came in to stay here and he keeps acting as a judge. So they're like talking to Lot now and saying, you who are a visitor coming to stay here, you're acting as a judge. Now we will deal worse with you than with them. So they pressed hard against the man Lot and came near to break down the door. But the men reached out their hands and pulled Lot into the house uh, with them and shut the door. Okay, so... Lot did all that he could to try to kind of diffuse the situation, uh, but really no human effort could fix the situation. No human effort could, could end this problem. And instead, the angels, okay, were the ones who uh, were able to save him. They pulled him back into the door. And now we're going to start seeing the work of God to save Lot and his family from the situation. And, and what's interesting is that as we see God putting forth this effort to save Lot and his family, we begin to see the resistance of certain members of Lot's family and the way that his family and him begin to stubbornly resist some of the ways that God is trying to help them, trying to save them. And this is indicative of the attachment that Lot and his family have to that place, right? God was going to destroy this city, but he wanted Lot and his family to be spared and to be pulled out of the city before the destruction happens. And God goes to, to great lengths to save them. You know, like, like it shows how much he loves Lot and his family because he goes to great lengths to save them. And yet each step of the way, you find that they are kind of slowing him down, kind of wanting to, you know, change the plan a little bit here and there. And, and, and we'll, we'll see that here. Okay. And they struck the men who were at the doorway of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they became weary trying to find the door. Then the men said to Lot, have you anyone else here, son-in-law, your sons, your daughters, and whomever you have in the city, take them out of this place. For we will destroy this place because the outcry against them has grown great before the face of the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. Okay. So we begin to see God working now. First thing is he strikes these men who are surrounding his house with blindness. And the angels are now warning Lot. He's saying every member of your family, 
extended family, anyone that you have in this place, bring them out now, okay? Because we, because the city is going to be destroyed. So you see, anyone who wants to live with a God and anyone who wants to li live a life of righteousness, God will protect and save them, right? Here, God's solution was not to allow Lot to remain living in the city and somehow putting a bubble around him so that he would not be affected by the people around him. The choice that Lot made to live there had a negative effect on him and his family, okay? So when this time came, God said, I must take Lot out of this environment, right? Lot must leave this environment in order for him to maintain his identity, right? And the same is true with us. Sometimes we believe that we can maintain our values, our morality, our faith, while surrounding ourselves with people that not just kind of don't hold the same faith, but are even attacking us, that are, are, that are preventing us from practicing, that are preventing us, that are making us to feel like we are wrong in believing what we believe, okay? And over time, it's easy for us to begin to be affected and influenced by them, okay? So we cannot allow ourselves like unfiltered and unlimited access to the world, to the media, to people, we can't allow ourselves simply to um, experience everything that is in the world in an unfiltered way and expect that we can live still according to God's principles and expect that we are not going to be affected negatively by it, right? Um, St. James in his epistle in chapter 4, verse 4, he says, adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. You cannot have both. You cannot be a friend of the world and experiencing absolutely everything that the world has to offer while at the same time being a friend with God because they do not go together. There are things in the world that are fundamentally against the principles of God and there are things in the world that if we indulge in them, we will find ourselves drifting away from God. And here, Lot is an impossible situation. He cannot remain a righteous man. He cannot raise his children to be righteous uh, people, right? In this in this environment, in this place, because it is antithetical. It is a completely against his principles. It's against, completely against God's plan and will for him that he must leave it, right? Because the that place, that place itself, is going to be destroyed. So Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law who had married his daughters and said, get up, get out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city. But to his sons-in-law, he seemed to be joking. Okay. This is very interesting. Okay. You imagine like, like Lot is going there. Okay. After all this scene has happened, after all these people tried to attack him and tried to attack the visitors, tried to attack his daughters, tried to, you know, like, like abuse them. Okay. And, and these angels are uh, blinded these, these people. And then they said, get out of the city because it's going to be destroyed. And Lot now is going to his daughter's husbands, okay? And he's telling them, you have to come with us because the city will be destroyed. And they took it as a joke. Like they didn't, they didn't take any of this seriously, anything that, that was happening, right? It reminded me of what, what, uh, what Christ said about uh, the people that were living in the time of Noah. You know, Noah was telling the people that there was going to be a flood, right? And the only way of salvation, right, was going to be in, in the ark, right? And Christ said in Matthew 24, for as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. 
and did not know until the flood came and took them all away, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Right? You have this scene where all these people were living their lives as normal, believing that life will continue the way that it was forever, simply enjoying themselves, eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that the flood came and none of their, uh, you know, hopes and, and dreams and imaginings came to, came to be, right? Because the world ended for them, right? They all died and, and the world as they knew it changed, right? So, so those who are living in sin often believe that their days will never end, that their time will never end, that they are invincible, that there will never be a day of reckoning, right? And that's why we who are believers must always be mindful of repentance, that even though we have weakness and even though we fall into sin, we realize that we are not we are not going to be here forever. Like this is this is this is we're going to be here temporarily. Our life is not infinite here, right? That we need to be preparing ourselves for what is to come. And God makes it clear that he is very patient with us, right? And he's very patient with sinners just as he was patient with Sodom, just as he was patient with Nineveh, just as he was patient with so many places, but his patience has a limit, right? In 2 Peter chapter 3, it says, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, right? What is his? What is the, the slackness or the promise he's speaking about? He's speaking about the promise of bringing sinners to justice, okay? Saying the Lord is slack, is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So he's saying, He's not going to be quick to judge the wicked. He's not going to be quick to destroy the wicked because he wants them to have a chance to repent. Okay. But then the very next verse, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. And this is what we see happening here in the city of Sodom uh, here in Genesis. Right. God had given them the opportunities before. Right. And here now, this is the last straw. This is this is the time now where the judgment will come upon them and there will be a reckoning for what it is that they have done. OK, so it's important for us always to to remember that that our lives here on Earth are temporary and God is calling us to a certain kind of life and calling us to live a repentant way and, and, and calling us to live in a way where we are not indulging in all that the world has to offer and the things that bring us down and bring us to be in more attachment to the world. So this is the first, um, this is the first uh, resistance from Lot's family that we see, right? They're the husbands of his daughters. They're just, they blow off the whole thing. They're like, you're crazy. That's just hilarious. Like it's just a joke to them. And actually they're going to get destroyed in the, in the, in the city. Okay. Because they do not choose to leave. Okay. Um, verse 15. When the morning dawned, the angels urged Lot to hurry, saying, Arise, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be consumed in the punishment of the city. When the morning dawned, the angels urged Lot to hurry, saying, Arise, take your wife and two daughters. Sorry, this is... Uh, I think verse 16 is repeated. Let me read it here. What, what does verse 16 actually say? And while he lingered, the men took hold of his hand, his wife's hand, and the hands of his two daughters, 
the Lord being merciful to him, and they brought him out and set him outside the city. So what's happening here? Okay, what's happening here is at the morning, the angels are like ter- tearing, telling Lot, hurry, like hurry, like don't, why are you lingering around, right? Take your wife, take your daughters, get out of here, right? Because and it says, and while he lingered, the men took hold of his hand, like they had to physically pull him away from the city, right? To bring him outside of the city. You can see clearly that Lot was reluctant to go. Like, like even though maybe Lot understood that this destruction was about to happen, but it was difficult for him to accept it. It was difficult for him to leave his home, to leave, you know, this place of his behind. You know, again, he had chosen this place to live because of its opulence, because of its fertility, because of all the good things that it offered, right? And he was mindful of that more than he was mindful of um, kind of the the moral environment of the place. And now he's having to let everything that belongs to him go. He's going to lose everything that he had. He literally had to be pulled away by hand. Compare this with Abraham. Abraham, he was always keen to act immediately. Whenever God told him to do something, he did it immediately. Here, Lot was like procrastinating. He like didn't want to go, okay? He was holding on to all these things. So we also can ask ourselves this question, you know, when we are asked to depart the world, how willing are we going to, to be to go? Like if God comes to me today and says, today you are going to come with me to heaven, okay? Is our first thought going to be, well, I don't want to leave behind something. I don't want to leave behind this, this, and this right? Or are we going to be embracing and joyful to leave behind what we have to go to a better life with the Lord, right? Here, Lot has this attachment, and we also have attachments that get in the way between us and the path that God has laid for us. Sometimes God, maybe not as an extreme saying, okay, I'm going to take you to heaven. God wants to take us to a higher level in our spiritual life. He wants us to go a step forward with him. He wants us to go a step forward in prayer, for instance. But for me to go a step forward in prayer, it's going to take more time out of my day to do so. So I have to maybe stop doing something else that I enjoyed doing. It wants me to go a step forward that would require me to let go of some relationships that I have, perhaps. It wants me to go a step forward with him, which would mean that I might have to let go of things that I enjoy. Right. So these attachments are what keep us from growing in God. And we see here these same attachments is what's keeping lot like kind of reluctant to leave, right? And sometimes the only way that God can get us to move forward is to end the things that we are holding on to. Here, literally, you know, there might not have been any other way to get Lot to leave other than to physically take him away and to destroy this place. Otherwise, Lot would not have wanted to leave. He chose to live um, in this place. So it came to pass when they had brought them outside, that he said, escape for your life. Do not look behind you, nor stay anywhere in the plain. Escape to the mountains, lest you be destroyed. So the angels are saying, go up to the mountains. Then Lot said to them, please know, my lords, indeed now your servant has found, uh, indeed now your servant has found favor in your sight, and you have increased your mercy, which you have shown me by saving my life. But I cannot escape to the mountains lest some evil overtake me and I die. So now this city is near enough to flee to and it is a little one. Please let me escape there. Is it not a little one and my soul shall live? 
And he said to him, see, I have favored you concerning this thing also, and that I will not overthrow the city for which you have spoken. Okay, so what happens here? Okay, um, so the angels took him out, right? And they told him not to look back, okay? Um, why do not look back? Don't long for where you have been. Don't long for what is being destroyed, but accept that this is ending, that this is being destroyed so that you can be saved, so that you can, you know, continue your life. You can have a better life, you know, apart from this place because this place is being destroyed. These attachments that you've been attached to are being taken away from you. And that shouldn't be a source of sorrow or mourning for you, but should be a source of joy because now you can be free of these attachments. You don't have to be burdened by them. You can be free, right, from them. But, um, but Lot really who doesn't understand anything of what's going on. Um, and he's the one who, um, you know, had chosen to live in Lot and everything. He didn't want to follow the angel's command. Why? Because he was told to go to the mountains, right? The angel told him, go and flee to the mountains far away from here, right? But what is it that Lot said? He preferred to go to another city. And the city's name is Zoar, okay? Instead of going to the mountains, Right? Because for him, it was going to be difficult to live in the mountains. And he says, what? I cannot escape to the mountains, lest some evil overtake me and I die. Maybe I will starve to death. Maybe some animal will come and attack me. Something will happen to me if I try to live in the wilderness and the mountains. I would rather go and live in this other city, Zoar. Okay. Um, God, in his great humility, okay, he says to him, I have favored you concerning this thing also in that I will not overthrow this city for which you have spoken. So the angels tell Lot to go to the mountains. Lot says, even though I'm really thankful that you're helping me to escape from the city, but I don't want to go live in the mountains. Is it okay if I go live in this other city? And so God in his humility, he says, okay, I'll let you go live in this other city and I won't destroy it. So God already had planned to destroy the city. But for the sake of Lot wanting to go live there, he decided not to destroy the city. Like to me, that's less, like so amazing that God would change something so extreme. Like how, how much God is protecting Lot and, and, and wanting to see Lot prosper. And at the same time, Lot is stubborn. He's not accepting what God is telling him. God said, go live in the mountains. Go to the mountains and escape. That should cue you in into saying the mountains is the best place for me. If the best place for me was Zoar, then God would have told me to go there. If the best place for me was another city, God would have told me to go there. God is telling me to go to the mountains, meaning I have a best chance of, of surviving, of living, of thriving if I go there where God has said. And yet Lot is afraid of some imagined, uh, some imagined adversary, some imagined evil that will come and happen to him if he goes to the mountains, something that there's no evidence of, right? If God told you to go to the mountains, the same God who is protecting you from the destruction of, of Sodom, if God told you to go to the mountains, don't you think he will protect you in the mountains? Don't you think that you will be safe there? Don't you think that you will have a good life, right? And that and that God is gonna, and, and, and maybe you're not even gonna stay there forever, but it's just, that's where God wants you to go for now, right? And yet Lot, again, his desire for something else, his attachment to something else said, no, I want to go live in Zoar. 
and God in his mercy and his love, he accepted this, right? He didn't have a, he didn't have an argument with law. He just said, okay, go there and I won't destroy the city for your sake because this is where you want to go to live, okay? Here, the church fathers speak about how the mountains represent an elevated life with God that is far from the attachments of the world, right? God is telling Lot, leave behind the attachments of the world and come live this elevated spiritual life with me, right? In the symbolic sense. And Lot, because of his strong attachment, that even though the one city that he lived was destroyed, he couldn't bear to stay away and he wanted to go and live in another city. Like he wanted to be attached to something else rather than to be detached and live with God. Okay, this is uh, interpretation of the church fathers here. So once God says, okay, um, I will let you go to the city, he says, hurry, escape there, for I cannot do anything until you arrive there. Therefore, the name of the city was called Zoar. Okay. So God is telling him, hurry, like I'm waiting for you, like go there. And then once you're there, then I can take action. Then I can destroy as, as I have said, again, you see, like God is waiting for a man. He's waiting for him. Um, again, really amazing, uh, like response from God. And the, the city uh, called Zoar, so the name Zoar means uh, like something that is the smallest. Like it means something that is um, small because Zoar was like a very small city among other cities um, in that place. St. Jerome says it was named Zoar because of the little faith that Lot had. Because Lot had such little faith to, 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 to go to the mountains when he was asked to go that the city was named Zoar as a kind of a reflection of the little faith that, that Lot had. The sun had risen upon the earth when Lot entered Zoar. Then the Lord rained brimstone and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. Okay. Um, so God spared Lot and his family, again, because he was a righteous man. And, and God did not want him to suffer the same fate as the unrighteous, as the wicked people. Um, and so again, as we mentioned last time, we see how God is only is like punishes and gives a consequence to each one only as he deserves according to his own works. God judges each one individually. God is not going to judge me for the good deeds of my family. God is not going to judge me for the bad deeds of my family. God judges each of us according to our own work. And so here, Lot is um, set apart from the others because his works are different than the others, okay? And here we see the answer to Abraham's question when Abraham was speaking to God and he told him, will you destroy the righteous with the wicked? And the answer is no, I will pull the righteous out so that I will destroy only the wicked, okay? But also it reveals to us that Lot was by far not a perfect man, he made many mistakes and he lacked faith. And yet God still considered him to be righteous. I mean, it's easy for us to pick apart the things that Lot is doing wrong, right? But we did not live in his shoes and his circumstances and live under these conditions that he is living in, right? He certainly has flaws, as do we all, right? So just because we make mistakes doesn't mean that God looks at us and says, well, you're a wicked person because you make mistakes. No, he was in the eyes of God, a righteous man, and any one of us who lives a life of repentance and desires to do good and asks for forgiveness from God when we do wrong, God sees as a righteous person. Okay. So he overthrew those cities 
all the plain, all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. But his wife looked back behind him and she, and she became a pillar of salt. Okay, so as they, um, you know, were traveling, okay, um, remember the angel had said, do not look behind you, right? Escape for your life. Do not look behind you nor stay anywhere in the plain, okay? Why? Because I want you to not look back. This, this life is over. This, these attachments are destroyed. Like, don't, don't still be attached or, or look back and longing at wanting to have these things again, okay? And so his wife failed to do so, and so she became a pillar of salt. Different people interpret this to mean different things, okay? Some people take it to mean literally as she became a pillar of salt, like she turned into salt, okay? Um, so, some people say that she suffocated from like the vapor and the smoke and got covered by salt. Other people say that there was an earthquake that caused, caused her to be covered by salt. But in whichever scenario, you know, um, whichever scenario that, you know, of these, that's the truth, okay? Her fate was determined because she couldn't let go of her home and did not obey the voice of the angel. St. Ambrose says about her, Lot's wife lost her nature itself by looking back, by looking toward what was unclean, even by looking with clean eyes, right? Like, even though she herself was righteous, she had clean eyes, but because she looked upon what was unclean, because she desired what was unclean, because she sorrowed for losing what was unclean, then this is what happened to her, right? Um, in Luke 9, Christ says, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God, right? That we as Christians do not look in longing and sadness at the things that we lose in the world, but actually we look with joy and expectation, anticipation for the good things that we receive from God, right? And so we shouldn't feel sad for the things that we um, are, 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 not, are not able to do in the world that is sinful things. No, because we don't want to celebrate the sinful. We do not want to celebrate the wicked. We do not want that. We want to do the things that please God, and those are the things that should bring us joy. And Abraham went early in the morning to the place where he had stood before the Lord. Then he looked toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all the land of the plain. And he saw and behold the smoke of the land, which went up like the smoke of a furnace. And it came to pass when God destroyed the cities of the plain, that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities uh, in which Lot had dwelt. Okay. Um, so Abraham was like, saw all of this happening from a distance. Um, and here we see that it's revealed that God actually saved Lot for the sake of Abraham as intercession. Right. It says, um, and it came to pass when God destroyed the cities of the plain that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out into the midst of the overthrow with when he overthrew the cities which Lot had dwelt. So if you remember back in um, in the previous chapter, in, in chapter 18, okay, uh, that's when God revealed to Abraham that he was about to destroy Sodom. And Abraham had this conversation with God, 
and says, would you save, you know, would you destroy the city even if there are 50 righteous? What about 45? What about 40, 30, 20, 10? And all these God would say, I will not destroy the city if there was only that many righteous people in it. I would spare the entire city for the sake of those righteous people, right? And so here Abraham was interceding for Sodom. And here specifically Abraham interceded for Lot because it says, uh, when God destroyed the cities of the plain, that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow. So why did God save Lot? God saved Lot for the sake of Abraham, because Abraham interceded for him. And we see again the power of prayer and the power of intercession, that God listens to the prayers of the righteous, right? And, and, and here Abraham um, and, and other important uh, righteous figures in the Old Testament we see that God listens to their prayers, that God asks them to pray on behalf of others so that they would, um, so that God would work, so that God would respond to their prayers, right? And, and so it's very important for us, this idea of intercession, that when we pray for one another, God hears, God listens, okay? God remembered Abraham. Then Lot went up to Zoar and dwelt in the mountains went up out of Zoar and dwelt in the mountains, and his two daughters were with him, for he was afraid to dwell in Zoar, and he and his daughter, his two daughters dwelt in a cave. So in the end, even though God had told Lot to go to the mountains from the beginning, and Lot thought he knew better and said, no, I want to go to Zoar. In the end, when he went to Zoar, right, the reason he didn't want to go to the mountains is because he was afraid of something evil might happen to him, right? So he ended up going to, Zo to Zoar instead, and then after a while, he was afraid to dwell there, right? That something might happen to him. And so he decided in the end to go to the mountains as God has originally said, right? So in the end, he did what God had asked him to do from the beginning. And again, sometimes we think that our plans and our ways are better than God's plans and God's ways. And we make poor choices. And then in the end, we really realize that whatever God had asked us to do from the beginning was actually the best way. Right. And so when we speak about having faith, OK, this is something difficult for us in our nature. Having faith means that we make a decision without having all the information and we trust that the direction and then the decision that God wants us to go, it, despite its uncertainty, is the best. Not because I have the proof and the evidence that it's the best, but simply because God said so. And because God said so and he has my best interest, that it must be the best. So someone in Lot's position should have said, because God said, go to the mountains, I will go, right? But instead, Lot went to Zoar, then he ended up going to the mountains because he was afraid. Zoar was not maybe as good as he thought it was, right? He was imagining a certain life in Zoar. He was imagining he would be safe there. And then after a while, he realized he wasn't safe, that actually the mountains were more safe, the place that God had asked him to go to, the, to in the beginning, Right? So God always wants what's best for us. God is not holding out on us. God is not wanting to keep good things from us. He wants us to go. But what God does not do, he doesn't answer a lot of questions about why and how and when and all these questions. He typically doesn't answer these questions. Why do you want me to go to the mountains, you know, instead of Zoar? Why, why this and why that? Because God wants us to operate on faith. He says, if I told you, I want you to distrust me. Like imagine parents, okay, with young children. Parents always want to do what's best for their children. And so the parents might tell their kids, okay, 
come over here, come do this. We're no, we're not going to go there. Instead, we're going to go here. And the reasons even why that the parents are choosing this and deciding this might be beyond the comprehension of the kids. Like the kids don't even understand the factors that are involved in deciding these, these things. And yet the, the parents understand and the parents want to do what's best for the children. And so we tell our kids to do here. When our kids ask us why, we don't even know how to describe it to them, you know, or the word the, and the response that we give to describe it to them is, is incomprehensible to them because they don't, they're not developed enough to understand, right? And in the end, parents don't want to always be questioned by their kids. They want their kids to just trust them. Don't you believe that I love you and I care for you and I will do what's best for you? Just trust me what I have to say and everything will turn out good, right? And this is the way that God wants us to see him doesn't want to be analyzed and dissected. He wants to be trusted like a father, right? Like a father, because he is our father. He wants us to believe him, to trust that he has our best interest. Now, the firstborn, uh, this is speaking about uh, Lot's daughters, okay? So now you've got Lot and his two daughters and they're living in the mountains. Now, the firstborn said to the younger, our father is old. And there is no man on the earth to come into us, as is the custom of all the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him, that we may preserve the lineage of our father. So they made their father drink wine that night, and the firstborn went in and lay with her father, and he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. It happened on the next day that the firstborn said to the younger, Indeed, I lay with my father last night. Let us make him drink wine tonight also. And you go in and lie with him that we may preserve the lineage of our father. Then they made their father drink wine that night also. And the younger arose and lay with him. And he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. Thus, both the daughters of Lot were with child by their father. So the reasons that are given by uh, Lot's daughters that they wanted to do this was because they had no husbands or their husbands had died um, in the burning of the city and they had no husbands and they didn't have anywhere to find husbands. And of course, uh, especially at that time, it was considered to be shameful, shameful for a woman to not bear any children. So they said, we have no means of bearing children right? We have no husbands. So they thought in their mind, uh, okay, the only man that we know is our father. And so we will be impregnated by him. And so in order for this to happen, he has to be drunk because he wouldn't otherwise agree to do something like this. And so they would do this to him without his knowledge, right? Because he is not, um, not aware, right, of what they were doing. So we see the of course, this is a wicked thing to do. Uh, it's a very deceptive thing to do. Um, we see that, the, again, just like we said before, the sinful environment um, of Sodom, uh, which was very much tied in with the sexual sin. Like sexual sin was one of the, the most prevalent of the immoralities of the sins that was happening in the city of Sodom. And we see everything here is related to sexual sin, you know, um, and, and, and the, 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 you know, the, this illogic, confused, warped uh, 
mindset, which we saw earlier with Lot and how he was offering his daughters to the men instead of the, the visitors. And now we see it in his daughters that they are conceived of this plan in order to do this um, is, is, you know, it shows the, the negative influence of the society around them that is seeping into them because they are righteous people. And, and Lot wanted to raise them and teach them the righteous principles. This is why they were saved. This is why God saved them, right? He saved them because they were not wicked like the others, right? But even though they were not wicked, they were affected by the environment around them, right? They were, they were infected by this environment around them. So um, sometimes we who are believers, who are Christians, we do our best to raise our children in the society that we're in and we struggle and any parent knows that we struggle against the negative influence that's in society which is why it's so important that we try to protect our children to 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 you know filter out as much bad stuff as there is that our children are are able to find and see so easily like you know i i would advise for instance do not let your children just have unfiltered access to the internet. Do not allow your children to have unfiltered access to YouTube, right? Because even if the aim of your child is to search some, some innocent things and innocent movies and innocent whatever, invariably, without even intending, there will be other things that they, be, they end up being exposed to, which will begin also to warp their minds, right? Just as we see here in these examples. We have to be so, so, so careful in protecting ourselves and protecting our children from these influences that can seep in and begin to corrupt us, right? And cause us to take such things like this so lightly, you know, like it was such a, a matter of fact, oh, well, we can just do this and this to our father. Like, 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 and we don't even see any sense of repentance or sadness. I mean, even after the first daughter did it on one night, she didn't come back and say, I feel so bad that I did this. I shouldn't have done this. Uh, let me go confess to my father. Let me tell him what happened. Like, let me try to correct it somehow. No, she just told her sister, oh, now it's your turn. Now you can do it. Okay. So it's, it's, it's really like the depravity and the, the matter of factness of doing things like this is really staggering. And, and, and it's clearly a reflection of the environment that they, they lived in and what was considered acceptable to those around them. We should be very careful that we do not live according to the standard of the society around us. We live according to the standard that God has set for us. Whatever God has said, right or wrong, that is what we go on. We don't go by on what the, the people on Facebook say or the people on Twitter say is right and wrong. There's no indicator at all. That's no standard for us to live by of what society says is right and wrong. We live according to what God says is right and wrong and only this, nothing else. Okay. Um, we see also in this a lack of faith because, you know, in the case of Abraham, for instance, um, Abraham, God was able to give him a child with Sarah, even though he was in old age. God so, could have somehow arranged for Lot's daughters to be married again or something else to happen, but they didn't wait for this. Like they didn't trust and wait. God knows our situation. God will preserve. God will protect. God will bring us what we need. Instead, they took it upon themselves to do this uh, in their own way. Kind of like what uh, Sarai told Abram to do with Hagar when they had Ishmael, right? 
they acted on their own. They acted with their own like thoughts because they didn't believe and have faith that God could bring it about um, another way. The result of this, okay, union between these two daughters and their father resulted in two nations being born from their wombs, okay? The firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab. He is the father of the Moabites to this day. And the younger, she also bore a son and called his name Ben-Ami. He is the father of the people of Ammon to this day, okay? These two nations, the Moabites and the Ammonites, became two of the worst enemies of Israel later on, and they caused Israel to sin. They became a thorn in the side of Israel. They, all of these people became um, like the enemies of Israel. So you see that these sinful decisions had very, very bad repercussions, right? St. Augustine, he said, it is far better for us to remain fruitless rather than becoming mothers by such a way. That was a symbol of those who corrupt the law by misusing it to produce the Moabites symbols of wicked deeds. So St. Augustine is saying like the, the people of the Moabites, which were a wicked people, they like symbolize wicked deeds, right? And, and, and it is like the, it would have been better for his daughters to remain fruitless, like not having any children, right? Rather than to be sources of corruption that produce more wickedness, right? Like their wicked deed produced more wickedness um, later on, okay? And that became a source of trouble for Israel. Okay, I think that's a good stopping point uh, for today. God willing, next time we will continue by um, studying in chapter 20 and 21. Um, let's just uh, conclude in a prayer. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. We thank you, Lord, for this day. We ask, O oh God, to be with us and to teach us, O oh Lord, how to live as righteous people in the midst of a sinful world. Teach us, O oh God, to be sensitive to sin. Be sensitive, O oh Lord, to all of the, the small things and the big things. All the things, O oh God, that society wants to corrupt, us, to corrupt our minds and our hearts. Teach us, O oh Lord, how to be faithful to you and not to compromise with sin. Teach us, O oh God, how to be thankful. Teach us how, O oh Lord, to feel that your presence is with us, guarding and protecting us. And grant us faith, O oh Lord, that we'll be responding to your call and your direction and guidance and not to be stubborn and to want to do things our own way. Through the prayers of St. Mary, Archangel Michael, St. Paul, St. Mark, and all your saints, here's as we pray, thankfully, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen.